Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to a brand new series. Very excited about this series. It's called Vision, Awakening God's Purpose in Your Life. Come on, can we just welcome all those that have joined us? So excited to have you guys with us. We had an amazing Easter, literally thousands and thousands of people and hundreds of decisions for Christ. And I wanted to kick off a new series. It's going to be four weeks all the way uh, through the month of April. Uh, And then I'm going to be doing a series in May on the Holy Spirit. Very, very excited about this. But I want to talk to you the next four weeks about God's vision. Listen, God's vision, God's dream, God's plan, and God's will. I'm going to use all of those terms. Those are analogous terms in Scripture. Everybody say vision, say dream, purpose, will. How many times have you said to yourself, man, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Well, that's also, you could reinsert, I want to know what God's dream is, what God's purpose is, what God's will and even plan for my life. So I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably. Vision is a biblical word. It's a biblical concept. It's all throughout the Bible. You're going to see in just a moment, Old Testament, New Testament. I believe one of the greatest frustrations that people have in their lives, Christians I'm talking about, one of the greatest frustrations they have in their lives is when they do not know what God's vision is for their life. They don't wake up in the morning with that sense of zeal and fire on the inside. They're just wandering about, going to heaven, right? Their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Their sins have been washed by the blood of Christ. But they don't have that sense of God's call, God's vision, God's dream. Now, I want to hopefully help you solve that tension, this series. I want to show you step by step in the Bible. Again, this is not a tangential issue. It's not something just kind of peripheral. This is, this is something that is central. God's will for your life. God's plan for your life. God's vision for your life. Vision has become, I believe, in our secular culture, an overused term, but it's an under, it's, it's misunderstood often. It's, it's something that we don't understand. What really is that? We often associate, and rightly so, vision with somebody that accomplishes great things. And we should. Somebody that's had this big vision for their life, maybe in the realm of athletics. You see somebody, maybe a young girl who was going to be a gymnast, and she was five and six, and she had this vision, and she wanted to be an Olympic person. You've seen these stories, these documentaries. And they go through high school, and they, and they train, and they wake up at four in the morning, you know, and their parents bring them to the, you know, and they've got this dream and this vision. And then fast forward, and they have the gold medal around their neck. There was a vision that drove that person. There was a dream. There was something on the inside that compelled them, and rightly so. We should associate that with that accomplishment. Whether it's a young football player, a boy that's gone up, you know, they, 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 they go to ex- excruciating amounts of pain, and, and, and they go through things because of, because of this vision. Or we associate maybe on the business side, somebody that had a dream and a vision to build a great business, and, and you see these great accomplishments. By the way, I got a book last summer, and it was called The Wright Brothers. And you guys may not know this. I was excited about this because the Wright Brothers, those that, 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 these two boys that had this dream, they had this vision, by the way, that they said was from God. You may not know this, but their dad was a pastor. I told my boys, you got a lot to live up to. I'm just telling you. I mean, I don't know if you're going to discover flying or what's next, space travel. I don't know, but I'm just going to tell you this. Their dad was a Methodist pastor. 
And the Wright brothers, they, 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 they felt like God had spoken to them and that God had given them this picture. And so here it is. And they, and they, and they discovered. So this, this sense of vision. Everybody say vision. Watch this. They saw it before they did it. Vision is something that you see on the inside before you actually do it. It's, it's, it's very, very powerful. Another man, George Washington Carver, phenomenal, godly man. He said, quote, he went and prayed and asked God to show him the wonders of the peanut. The peanut. And God showed him like 139 ways that the peanut could be, peanut, all, all that. But, but he was a godly man. God showed him a vision. Of course, he built so many things and so many things are named after him. Why? Because, because he had a, what, everybody say it, a vision. He had a vision. God had given him a vision for, for his life. The tension that we often have is that we feel like we're just taking up airspace. We're just kind of here. What are you doing? Well, I'm here. Well, where are you going? I'm here. There's that tension on the inside because God, I believe, wants to breathe in us a dream to catapult us, to, to move us for a vision for our lives that, 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 that makes a significant impact. I believe that every single one of us, not just the famous people, just every single one of us, not just the highly gifted, but every single one of us are called by God to walk in God's dream, vision, plan, purpose, and will. And let me tell you, you will make a mark in your world. I, uh, <clears throat> I remember when I was I, I, a junior in college, I I went to, to Tulane University, and I was, uh, some of you have heard this story. Matter of fact, those of you that were new last week as guests here for Easter, uh, you heard a little bit of my story when I came to Christ as a freshman in college in a college Bible study. And, and I was studying in school. I, I have, again, you've heard this before, though, I have a degree in rhetoric, which means nothing. <laughs> it's like, what is it? You know, you either have to go to law school or be a preacher. I mean, literally. I, so it's, it's kind of a pre-law degree. And I, I never forget, I was, so I, I had these different options that I was going to do. I was going to maybe, may, may, uh, uh, in one of those routes was maybe I'll go to law school. And that, that's, that's what I'll do. And so I never forget my junior year sitting down with my parents. And it's when you got to take the tests and all that stuff. And, and I told them, I said, look, I'm going to finish college. But God has been speaking to me. See, God had been showing me something. God had been speaking to my heart. Matter of fact, I'll never forget the first day after my, I was saved a year, a Christian a year, and I was in this Bible study. And matter of fact, Pastor Doug Arman was in that Bible study. He was our leader at the time. And, and, and I, so now I'm 20th this time. I'm a sophomore in college. And I remember sharing in this Bible study, and, and this person said to me, they said, hey, Steve, when you answer those questions, it really makes sense. Really. Now remember, I'm in the French Quarter not worshiping Jesus a year before that. And I'm like, what? Really saying, no, no, it really makes sense. It's like, it's like you, you kind of, that, that really helps me. It's like it makes, it makes sense. I thought, wow. And then I'd go to prayer. And, I, and, and again, I, I was in a particular direction but I, I, in prayer. I started seeing, and you may not believe this, but I started seeing a picture of myself speaking and communicating to people and helping people. And I thought, wow. Now, let me fast forward. I'm a junior. I'm sitting down with my parents. I said, listen, I just want to let you know I'm going to finish college. But, but God, has, God has called me 
I've been seeing this picture of me speaking before people, and God's called me to be a, a preacher. And I forget, and I've told you the story. My, my, my mom just kind of went, oh, my God. My son is going to be so poor. He did. Now, remember, they prayed for me for seven years to get saved. I guess I got oversaved. But the point is, I, to save, you know, extra decaf. Point is, is that God was speaking to me, and God was putting in my heart his, everybody say it, vision. God wants to put a vision in your heart of what he wants you to do and become and achieve. God, God listen, God is no respect to person. It's not, this is only reserved for the people that are. No, that's not true. God wants to breathe his dream. God wants to breathe his vision. God wants to breathe his vision in your heart. So I want to answer a couple things here. Number one, what is vision? All right? Again, this is often misunderstood. People, you know, they, they're not. So I'm going to break this down. I'm going to be teaching. Some of this will be inspiration over the next month. Some of it, a lot of it will be information. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture as well. So what is vision? The common understanding of the word vision is to see, to see, uh, watch this also, and to come into being. Now, why is that important? I'm seeing something as I'm coming into what? So I see something on the inside that I am to become, that I am to do, that I am to achieve, that I am to build, that we are. Again, I'm speaking about you, that you are to become, that you are to achieve, that you are to, quote, become. And let me give you my practical definition. This is my definition. Here we go. So vision. Vision is an inner picture of a preferable future. Now, some people will say a mental picture. The reason why I don't want to just say mental, I believe it's mental, but I also believe it's, it's on your heart. As a believer, God speaks to us, and so it's not just cognitive, but it's an internal picture of a preferable future, of what God wants you to do, of what God wants you to build, of what God wants you to become. That is a vision. Everybody say that word. It is what? Vision. So a vision, it's an internal picture, something that happens on the inside, and it's so powerful. Matter of fact, it's a biblical concept. Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelation. God speaks, God breathes, and he puts his vision in the hearts of people. Revelation, or actually Proverbs. Let me give you one. Here it is. Pastor, how important it is, how important is it for me to have God's vision for my life. And by the way, I'm going to share throughout this series, yes, God breathes a, there's a primary vision, but there's also other things. God gives you a dream and a vision for this, to accomplish this, and to do this. You can have one for your family, for your business. So I'm going to give you a primary, but there are secondary things that God's called us to accomplish as well. Watch this. Where there is no, everybody say it, vision, the people do what? Perish. Some of your translations say this, they cast off restraint. So in other words, vision in the heart of a man or a woman. When somebody has vision, it calls you forward, and it causes you to stay on course. I used to speak to teenagers for, for years, about eight, nine, ten years, and I used to say this. I said, I, I, I believe we all have a sin issue, but I believe that teenagers don't have so much of a sin problem as they have a vision problem. If they know where they're going. By the way, you don't have to wait till you're 30, 40, and 50 and get beat up and then get God's dream for your life. Matter of fact, let's teach people how to hear the voice of God when they're younger so they don't have to take all these missteps. They don't have to do all these detours. Are y'all with me? 
from a very young age how to hear God's voice, what God's dream is, what God's vision is for your life. So without vision, people cast off restraint. Without vision, people perish. By the way, it's individual but also collective. Without vision, churches don't move forward. Without vision, families don't move forward. Without vision, businesses don't move forward. Without vision, communities don't move forward. It's so, it's so important. I, I like to read a lot about history, and so y- you guys will hear different things, different books I'm, I'm reading, and different things, and, and throughout, I just, I enjoy that, and I hope it resources you. One of the quotes that I on vision that was so impactful to me over the years is something that Helen Keller said. Of course, we know the story of Helen Keller. She was blind. Here's what she said. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. So the only thing worse than actually being physically blind is being able to physically see, but having no internal picture of a preferable future where you don't see a hope for tomorrow. You don't see where you're going. You don't see what God's called you to build or to do. Interesting, there was, there's a man that I studied, and it's just very fascinating. His name Victor Frankl, and he, was a, he, was an, he later became an Austrian psychologist. But he was, he was, he was a Jewish man, and he was in the Nazi concentration camps. And, and it was interesting, later he, he began to write about, he wrote a real powerful book called Man's Search for Meaning, but he wrote a book, and he, and he did all of this kind of evaluation of why is it, why is it that some people were able to make it through those excruciating experiences, the concentration camps. Now, again, some were just exterminated, some were killed, but, but not everybody was killed. So some people were just tortured, like he was. And he said, why is it that some people were able to make it through that and others gave up? It was interesting over the years through his study and then when he got out and then through counseling people and through evaluating, what he said was this, the single most important factor in somebody getting through that concentration camp. And he evaluated, by the way, people that went through Vietnam as prisoners of war and other wars. He said the single significant factor that he realized that people had and they embodied to get through those things is they had a sense of future vision. In other words, they held on to a picture. Everybody say picture. They held on to a picture of a preferable future. They saw themselves with their families. They saw themselves accomplishing and doing. There's some, see, God has designed us to be future-oriented. God has designed us with an internal capacity. And those people, they had this compelling sense of future orientation. And watch this. When you, have, when you see a picture of yourself in the future, it gives you power for the present. It gives you an, an, an internal strength to say, you know what? There's a, there's a better tomorrow coming. There's something that's better coming. There's a, and it causes you to rise above, listen, excruciating circumstances because of that picture of tomorrow. Now, I want to qualify a couple things. I know that some people, uh, last time I taught a series like this was 13 years ago. And I remember 13 years ago, some people challenged me a little. said, Pastor, you know, it sounds like this series is kind of like a secular goal-setting seminar. And we've been to a lot of these things. Let me say this. Any secular goal-setting seminar that you've been to that sounds like some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about, let me just be very clear. Whether they reference God or not, they ripped it off from the Bible. Are y'all with me? Because anything that works and helps people, whether somebody gives God credit or not, it's from the Bible. 
Setting goals is from the Bible. Vision is from the Bible. Clarity and focus and intention, it's from the Bible. Now, I'm not suggesting they're giving God credit. I am saying that it's in the Bible. It's always amazing when like medical science proves something that God said 2,000 years ago. Are, are y'all with me? I remember reading this article one time, Psychology Today, they talked about the power of laughter and how the endorphins and the serotonin, the neurotransmitters in the brain and how it, how, how it medicinally affects the, the biochemistry in your body. I thought, Solomon said that 3,000 years ago, a merry heart doth good like medicine. Are y'all with me? Everybody say vision. Okay, there is a difference though. There is a difference between secular vision and biblical vision. I'm going to share that with you. For the believer in Jesus, there, there, is, a, there is a line where in one sense, you, you'd have people that, 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 that they have secular vision. So the difference of a secular goal-setting seminar and a biblical understanding of vision is they start on second base. We start on first base. They start with your gifts, talents, and abilities. We start what, with what has God put in our hearts. Let me, let me give you a scripture. Genesis chapter 15. I want to open this up. By, by talking about a patriarch that we're all familiar with, Abra, Abraham, who, who uh, he, his name later changes to Abraham, but Abram. Genesis chapter 15, where does vision originate? So what is vision? It's an internal picture of a preferable future. Where does it originate for the believer? For the child of God. We sang about that today. What a powerful song. For the child of God, first base, first base is what is God? put in our heart. All the way back, very first book of the Bible, all right? That's why intimacy and prayer and seeking God is so critical for this. We cannot discover God's plan for our life without connecting with God himself. Here it is, Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, again, his name is Abraham. It changes to that, which is a father of many nations. That's what it means in Hebrew. So the word of the Lord came to Abram in a what? Say it in a vision. By the way, I'm so excited about this. I'm going to give you a little promo of what's to come in January. We solidified our community series that we do. Uh, This year we did the other side. Next year in January, February, we're going to do six weeks. And I'm going to be teaching the six ways that we learn from the Bible, the six ways that God speaks to us through his word, through his inner witness of the Holy Spirit, uh, through godly counsel, circumstance. I'm going to teach you one of the ways that God speaks to us when we're in prayer is that God will speak to us through God spoke to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Look at this next verse, verse five. Then he brought him outside. Remember Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 11, Abram was a polytheist. He worshiped many gods. God called Abram unto himself, brought him into covenant, became a monotheistic worshiper of one God. That's who he was. He loved God. God called him into relationship, but God not only called him into relationship with him, God also breathed into Abram's heart a dream for his life. And that dream was to be a father of many nations. But that dream didn't happen overnight. 25 years it took. 10 years into it, he was getting discouraged. Because he and Sarah, who God said were going to be the progenitors of this, this, this new special race of people that love God, and the, the, the Jewish people. 10 years later, he was discouraged and God brought him out again to reacquaint him with, his, with God's vision for his life. Watch this. Genesis 15, he says, then he brought him outside and he says, look. Look now towards the heavens and count the stars. 
if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. God gave him an external, watch this, an external picture of an internal reality that was going to manifest externally. He gave him an external picture of the stars and the sand. That's a lot. The stars, the heaven, oh my gosh. That's a lot. I remember one time I was camping in Northern California at this camp with my son, and I looked up, and it, the sky was so clear, literally millions of stars. It was just like unbelievable. God took Abram out there, and he says, you see all those stars? That's how many kids you're, that's, good. that's the, out of your, out of your wife's womb and out of your loins, it's going to produce that many children throughout the earth. Everybody say vision. He gave him an, a, 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 an external picture of an internal reality that was going to be produced externally. Very powerful. So what is the difference between a man-made vision and a God-given vision? Let me just give you a couple things, and I've got three points, and I'll close. And again, I'm going to be building. I'm not giving you the whole thing today. I'm going to layer upon layer, line upon line. Next week, we're going to talk more about intentional goal steps. How do we do that? But today, a man-made vision is based solely on our gifts and skills. You go to a secular seminar, they say, okay, identify what you're good at. That's important, but that's step two. Identify what you're good at. Identify what your skills, all right? God-given vision receives a revelation from God. God speaks to us and breathes upon us a picture of a preferable future. Man-made fulfillment rests on personal drive and staying ahead of others. God-given vision fulfillment rests on obedience to Christ. Let me just tell you this. When you really have a dream from God, you are not in competition with others. Because you're going to stand, and I'm going to stand before God, that I'm not going to stand before God one day, not evaluated based upon what you did, but based upon what I did. I'm not in competition with you. You're not in competition with me. People are seen as competitors here. Here, people are seen as complementary. Here's what you find out. When you have a God dream, listen, you begin to realize that God brings people in your life to help you accomplish that dream. That people are not competitors. People complement you. The different people in my life, I realize what God is. And I'm also, watch this, I've also been brought into your life to help you fulfill what God's put in your heart. It's a beautiful mosaic how God does this. It's, it's wonderful. The goal of somebody with a man-made vision is to build solely the interest of your, uh, yourself at the expense of others. The goal for a kingdom person is to serve people, honor God, and advance his kingdom. So in other words, business people think, well, pastor, this is for preachers. No, it's not. If God's put a dream in your heart to build a God-glorifying business, let me tell you something. You, you, you ought to build a business that helps other people, that achieves some goal, that delivers a product, that helps improve the lifestyle of other people, where they understand. I know that you maybe not be able to preach to everybody, but they can know by your life, and you can influence their life. Jesus said it this way, let them see your good works, that they may glorify my Father in heaven. So, so, so again, I'm not talking about this. is not just for preachers. This is building a family, building a business, building whatever, a sports team, whatever it is. Research indicates that children with a future-focused role image of seeing themselves, they perform better in school, they perform better in life. Why? Because they, 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 they see themselves, they have a picture. That's why role models are so important. A role model of seeing somebody that's accomplishing, uh, particularly if they acknowledge Christ anywhere in their agenda. You know what? God has put in mind. There's something about that. There's something powerful about that. Now, vision can both be individual, but it also can be collective. For instance, let me just give you a, a, 
just a, a, a quick thing of, of how there's a sense of corporate vision. Again, Viktor Frankl talked about individual, where you see yourself. But again, by the way, you guys may have seen that this week was the 50th anniversary of the date when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was, was shot. You may have seen that in, if on social media feeds or whatever. And I began to think about that. 19, or 1863, Abraham Lincoln. Listen, we're talking about vision. Vision paints a picture. It's an internal picture of a preferable future. Watch this. For yourself, but then also it expands to a collective vision as well. When you understand God's call upon your life, some of you have been uniquely called not just to impact your world, but your world as a large world that includes a lot of other people. 1863, Abraham Lincoln signs a document called the Emancipation of Proclamation. Isn't that right? A hundred years later, Dr. Martin Luther King, he was, he was, by the way, uh, last year I went with one of our, I preached twice in Washington, D.C. at two different churches last year. And uh, one night, Pastor Aaron, one of our youth pastors, I said, man, you got to go with me. You, you got to go come see the Lincoln. So this is, this is a, the, the, the Lincoln Center, the, the, the whole um, square it, where, 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 the spe- where Dr. Martin Luther King, he made this speech. It's powerful. We went, so help me God, I'm telling you, at 11 o'clock at night, and it was packed. It was unbelievable. I mean, it's just a packed out. And so I stood there and I thought, I said, Aaron, come here, man. I said, I said, this is, this is amazing. And that's exactly where he stood. And he gave the famous, I have a what? Say it. I believe that dream wasn't just for him, individual, but there's also collective dimension in that. Isn't that right? When the, my four kids are not be judged based upon the color of the sin, but by their content of their character. And he began all those images, and he began all this. What, so, so vision, vision, when you have a true vision to in, help people, and, 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 and you're a God-glorifying servant of God, where you're a child of God, like we sang about, let me tell you, it doesn't just impact your world, it impacts other people's worlds. So if you're building a, a, a society, if you're a leader, a political leader, you're a, a pastor, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a teacher, Oh, wow. Talk about influencing young people. Wow. A coach. There's something that happens on the inside when you have a vision. People are able to accomplish great things. They're able to achieve great things. Let me give you three. Number one, three benefits of possessing vision. Here they are. Three benefits. Again, I'm just whetting your appetite so you can come back next week and the next week and the next week. This will build. Each week I'm going to build. I'm going to give you practical steps. By the end of this month, I'm telling you, you're going to be able to hear from God, understand God's plan, God, and take the practical steps. Because by the way, God gives you a dream, but then you've got to take some steps. You've got to cooperate with that. Three benefits of possessing vision. Number one, here we go. What's the first one? Vision provides purpose and direction for your life and for the others attached to you. Now, just stay with me. Without vision, we have no real sense to live, no reason, purposelessness. You show me somebody without a sense of vision, and there's an aimless, they, they, per, they, they wander. There's a purposelessness about them, just kind of wandering around. Conversely, you show me somebody with a dream in their heart, a vision in their heart, that God has put in their heart. I'm telling you, listen, even a secular person that doesn't know Christ, that has a vision of a sense of what they want to achieve, they even in among themselves, because they're still made in the image of God, there's an incredible durability with their life. How much more a child of God? How much more somebody that has the Spirit of God on the inside of them and God's dream? 
I, I love different biblical characters. I've taught through, gosh, so many of them over the last 18 years. And, and one of the ones that I, I, I just, who I love, who challenges me so much is the Apostle Paul. Why is it the Apostle Paul? Because the Apostle Paul was the original Terminator. <laughs> you guys, the original. You couldn't kill him. You could not kill him. By the way, I want to say this. It's not sacrilegious. Jesus was not the only one that was whipped 39 times in the Bible. Paul the Apostle was whipped, left for dead three times. Matter of fact, one time he was stoned. They thought he was dead. And he was like, and he walked out of it. How you like the sound effects? I tell you, Pixar is looking for me. But anyway, so, so. So, 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 so what is it? Why, why, why can Paul the apostle be left a night and a day in the deep, hanging on to a piece of driftwood in the Mediterranean Sea? How, how can he do that? How can that guy go through time after time? Could it be, could it be that there was a vision in his heart? Acts chapter 26 says it this way. Paul Watch this. This is powerful. Therefore, King Agrippa, this is after so many things that he went through. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly what? Say it. Vision. When did Paul receive a heavenly vision? I'll tell you what he did. Acts chapter 9. When he was on the road to Damascus, he had letters. He was a Jewish man named Saul before he became Paul, and he was a persecutor of Christians. Matter of fact, he killed them. First Christian martyr was Stephen in the Bible, recorded in the Bible. And the Bible actually says that a young man named Saul, he was kind of the, the, the maitre d', the curator. He was the overseer of the event of the first Christian martyr. One chapter later, that's Acts chapter 8. One chapter later, Acts chapter 9, he has letters in his hand going to Damascus, which is present-day Syria, and the Bible says a light knocks him down to the ground and God speaks to him. And then God speaks to Ananias to give him a message. And God clarifies, what is Paul's vision for his life? You will speak to Jews and Gentiles and before kings. Isn't it interesting? Therefore, everybody say it, who? King Agrippa. This was part of the fulfillment of the dream. When Paul was holding on to that piece of wood, when Paul was, I mean, so many times, I believe part of why he didn't let go is he hadn't fulfilled the vision yet. Are you with me? I believe when people let go too quickly, it's because they've, they let go of the vision, and if you let go of God's vision, then you'll be overwhelmed by circumstances. You'll quit. Paul says, I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. I read something, uh, you know, uh, recently. Let me go back. All of the globe knows that last month, Dr. Billy Graham died. Oh, gosh, what a life. Almost 100, 99 and a half, okay? I sound like I'm in junior high, and a half, you know, but anyway, or eight years old. But point is, is he almost lived 100 years. And, and, and history would record, history record, that he preached the gospel face-to-face -face than any person greater in, in the world, in the history of the world. Of course, Paul and those guys didn't have the technology and they didn't have the, the large ability to do it. But here's my point. He died incredible. 
A lot of people have never heard of another guy who's an evangelist talking about the power of vision. His name's Reinhard Bunke. Anybody ever heard of a man named Reinhard Bunke? He was, a, he was an evangelist. He, he hasn't passed away. He's close to 80. Matter of fact, he goes to Christ Fellowship. Uh, top, uh, Dr. Tom Mullins, who's a spiritual dad to me, Christ Fellowship, one of the largest churches in America, uh, West Palm Beach. That's where he's retired. He's almost 80. But what people don't know about Reinhard Bunke is that he went to Lesotho, Africa in 1969 with his wife and their newborn son. So this is close to 50 years ago. And when he was there, he was very discouraged. He was extremely discouraged because he didn't see the fruit. He didn't see the, I'm talking about vision, the impact of vision in the human soul. He was so discouraged, he was getting ready to go back to Germany. You ought to read his autobiography. It's so powerful. And at nighttime, he began to have repeated visions. And during the day, he would have this sense that God was, that God was and he would have dreams. This is powerful. And you have these dreams. And in these dreams, this was like over a several-month period. And in these dreams, he would have these recurring dreams of a of, of picture geographically of the, of, the, of the continent of Africa. And, the content, and then in the dream, he would see blood coming all down. And he would hear these words, a blood-washed Africa. And he was getting ready to go back to Germany. A blood-washed Africa. And with that, he woke up in his wife's name, Annie, and he said, Annie, God is, we are not to go back to Germany, but God has called us to see Africa blood washed with the blood of Christ. We have been called to every nation. We said, now, you can go, they, they, that through that, that ministry, they have recorded, all right, over 50 years, 77,044,674 personal decisions for Christ because God gave him a vision and he didn't give up and go back to Germany. Isn't that powerful? In Africa. Number two, and I'll close. I've got just a couple more. Vision stirs your passion. It stirs your, I'm gonna talk about this way, week, uh, next week, your passion and your energy. Some of you, I want to say this respectfully, some of you, maybe you lack energy because of eating habits. We all do that. Maybe it's because of sleeping habits, right? Your physiology maybe is thrown. But it could be, listen to me, it could be you're lacking that passion in your life because there's a vision leak in your life. And you're not living in the vision that God, the dream that God has for you. Because you show me somebody that has God's vision and they know what God's called them to do. I'm telling you, listen, they may hit the snooze once, but they're getting out of bed with a fire. There's something about that person. There's something about that person that has a dream in their heart, a vision in their heart. Why is that? It stirs their passion. Remember, we're spirit, soul, and body. When you have a vision in your spirit that God has put in your heart, I'm telling you, it, it impacts your mind, will, and emotion, and it impacts your body. Something on the inside. Interestingly enough, I, I remember reading the Gospels one time. Matter of fact, I heard a guy tell me this. Just please stay with me. I got about three or four minutes. I heard a guy tell me one time, he says, you know what? He said, Pastor Steve, you know, Jesus lost it once. He said he was angry. Man, he went into the temple and he was overturning tables and he was trying to justify his anger. He said, man, Jesus, man, he was just, he, he, he was ticked off. Man, he was just throwing tables and just bleh. And I said, you, so you read that in the Bible. You, you read that. I said, oh, I'm just telling you, that's just, I mean, I'm, I've heard about 
Well, I mean, I, and I said, well, have you read? There's several accounts of different gospels. Remember the gospels, four different gospels. There's four different accounts. Again, there's the synoptic gospels. They're, they're very similar in some accounts, but they're each unique perspective. So John, have you read John? Have you read John's account of that experience? Listen, I'm talking about vision and vision igniting passion in our hearts. The Bible says in John chapter 2, when Jesus right prior to that moment over the over, turning the tables, the Bible says he actually knelt down and he made a whip of cords. Do you know how long it takes to make a whip of cords? Jesus wasn't just, he just lost one. Hey, what are y'all doing in here, a bunch of idiots? He didn't do that. He was very intentional. He says, They've lost sight of what this is about. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. They're now, the priests were selling sacrifices for exorbitant amounts of money so that the Jewish people could buy these things and go sacrifice, and they were, they were ripping people off. And Jesus was upset, but he was very intentional, and he made a whip of cords, and then he got up, and he was filled with passion, and he did the Father's will. He wasn't losing it. He was constrained. Let me just say something. Let me tell you something. Passion is not wildfire. It's controlled fire. You, you, you know, there's controlled burns. It's Holy Spirit passion is a controlled burn. It's, it's intentional. It's got an intentionality. It's got an intentionality to it. When, when you have God's vision in your life, there's a, there's a fire on the inside. There's an intentionality. You know, when I gave my heart to Christ, I was turning 19 years old. How many know there's lots of passion moving in a 19-year-old kid? And I was a Christian. By the way, I had people make fun of me. I had some of my best friends, oh, Steve, what are you doing, man? Man, man, man you've gone too far. Everything you do has gone too far. How was I able to say no to lesser things? It's because I was able to say yes to a greater thing. When you have God's vision in your life, you're able to say no. Everyone say no. Matter of fact, God's dream and vision in your life helps you with lifestyle choices. I didn't want to forfeit what God had in my life. I didn't want to forfeit God's plan for my life. I didn't want to mess up God's dream in my life. So I was able to say no to those things because I had a big yes to the ultimate thing, what God called me to. Does that make sense? Everybody say vision. Let me give you this last and final thing. I want to whet your appetite. Week four, this is very important. Anybody that runs businesses, organizations, I'm going to talk about something right here. This is the collective sense of what vision can do beyond just yourself, how it galvanizes, how vision can actually galvanize unity in a tremendous way. I'll give you this last point. Vision does this. This will be my fourth talk, message, whatever you want to call it. Vision invites unity. Yes, it does. Did you know the word division? Everybody say division. Where does that word come from? Die is the Latin word, which means what? Two. Remember when you were a kid, you used to ride a little bike that was called a what? Tricycle. That's called three. Quad is four. A division. When there's division in your organization, when there's division in a church, when there's division in a home, moms and dads, same page. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to call cause Division. Division in a business. Division in a community. Division in a church. Division in a home. Mom and dad aren't on the same page. Kids know it. They can sniff, sniff that out real quick. 
I'm going to teach you week four that having a clear vision has the ability to pull people onto the same page. It's powerful. It's so central. Let me give you this last scripture and I'll close. Oh man, I got so much. This is week four. This will be the last week in April. Please do not, if you're involved in any level of any corporate, every one of us is involved in something corporate. I'm going to show you the importance of these principles of getting everybody on the same page. How vision invites unity. Genesis 11, real quick, I'm going to whet your appetite. The Tower of Babel, it was the greatest marvel of human strength. Watch this. That man was actually building a tower that was reaching into the heavens. The problem was it was a man-made vision and not a God-given vision. But even man-made visions, even if you take God out of it, watch this, the principles of vision are so powerful, so powerful. Even Hitler, with the not, as demonic as that was, the Nazi regime, demonic, that was inspired by hell. But the principles of getting everybody on the same page, the principles of one voice and one, the principles, that's why this thing is so important, both for the positive and the negative. Watch this. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Look at this next verse. I'll close. Indeed, the people, God looked down. It's the Tower of Babel. This is, by the way, the root structure of Babylon. Babylon. Babel, where it comes from. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word. It's a, it's a word issue. It's a, the, the, the languages were confused. Indeed, the people are what? Say it. One. And they all have what? Say it. One language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. I'm going to teach you week four the importance of a singular vision, getting people on the same page, having one voice. Well, I'm telling you, when you get, when a church, and, we, and I, I, there's a sense of unity in this church. You can feel where there's disunity. And so you walk in like, whoa, this is really disunified. You can walk into businesses. You can walk into a community. You can be part of a nation when there's disunity. Listen, there's power. God wants to raise up men and women of God with the Spirit of God that can unify things in the name of God to accomplish great things. Great things. And I believe that God wants to use you to do it. Listen, it begins with getting a vision from God. How many of y'all excited about this series? You guys excited? I want you to stand.